0: Welcome to the Smart Talk Series, a Henry George School social science podcast. The Smart Talk Series is a weekly podcast with an array of discussions held with academics, policymakers, practitioners, and other professionals to explore new ideas and theories within the economics field. Today, our discussion comes from our most recent annual conference, Why is Housing So Unaffordable? Causes and Solutions. For the next 12 weeks, our discussions will revolve around the topic of housing and house prices with three subtopics. The first will be root causes, followed by an evaluation of current policy responses, and finishes with alternatives to current policy and thinking around affordability. Today, we were lucky enough to speak with Brendan Cheney. Brendan is the director of policy and communications at the New York Housing Conference. The New York Housing Conference is a policy and advocacy nonprofit dedicated to advancing state, local, and federal housing policies. Our affordable housing crisis will require comprehensive solutions, which will require reliable data. With good data, we can formulate the best possible policy, understand what areas need the most relief, and empower those shut out of the market due to unaffordability. With organizations like New York Housing Conference, policymakers can prevent gentrification, and buyers have help navigating the market. We're glad to have our guest on at such a pivotal moment in this housing crisis. Brendan earned his bachelor's degree in economics and political science from the University of Massachusetts Amherst and his master's in public administration from Syracuse. He has extensive experience as a policy analyst and consultant. Mr. Cheney was also a staff writer for Politico, writing about housing policy and homelessness, often using data to communicate policy trends and complex ideas. As director of policy and operations, he oversees all advocacy and policy efforts on behalf of the conference. Together, We talked about the priorities of Governor Kathy Hochul, got into the weeds of federal and state housing policy, and explained the concept of affordability depth. It was quite an interesting conversation. Before we get started, I also wanted to mention another poll we're running. We want to hear from you and what you have to say. If you have any suggestions for the show, please participate in our poll. We'll leave this one open a little bit longer so that we can get some more participation from our listeners. We hope you enjoyed this talk, and please make sure to check back on our page every week for a brand new episode.
1: All right, so my name is Brendan Cheney. I'm the Director of Policy and Operations at the New York Housing Conference. We are a nonprofit housing policy and advocacy organization. We support decent, affordable housing for all New Yorkers. We analyze public policy, educate the public and convene stakeholders, raise awareness regarding New York's need for affordable housing. And so we advocate on the city, state and federal level for resources and policy around affordable housing. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna um, sort of talk a little bit about the, the, the data points we see that sort of point to the extent of the affordable housing crisis. And then some of the policies we've been working on and are going to work on Uh, at the city state and federal level to address these issues all right so this first slide shows the history of homelessness in new york city this is the number of people in department of homeless services shelters going back all the way to 1983 and you just see that it's sort of consistently increased with some with some dips there was a and, and the latest dip you see is um sort of during the pandemic there in 2020 2021 2022 and now you've seen it really, really expanding again. Um, in this chart, it's up to 75,000. I think if you look at some of the news coverage, it's, it's over 100,000 now. So it's a combination of, of New Yorkers that have experienced homelessness. And then there's the really big growth in people seeking asylum coming to New York City that are also experiencing homelessness and getting sheltered in New York City. Uh, so the numbers really climbed and and, and has been, been climbing again recently because of that and because of I think, you know, the uh, end of the eviction moratorium and just ongoing housing issues. And so, and and then what you have is you people who are housed but have rent burdens. I think this was covered a little bit earlier, but want to show sort of our chart where we look at this. Uh, So rent burdens, if you're paying more than 30% of your income in rent, you're rent burdened. If you're paying more than 50%, you are severely rent burdened. And if you look at this by income, you see that the uh, crisis is particularly severe for New Yorkers at the lowest incomes, and so NLHD covered this earlier. Lindsay did, um, and so just sort of highlighting this again, you can see almost 400,000 households in New York City are severely rent burdened, or almost 400,000, you know, households making less than $25,000 are severely rent burdened. And then this affects our advocacy as well. This is a chart we put together, and it shows affordable housing that New York City produces. It shows sort of where the units are produced by Community district across the city and you see unequal uneven distribution around the city and what we want to see is more affordable housing in all neighborhoods and and a more equitable distribution, so this this affects our uh, our work as well. statewide we have the same outside of New York City there the there are the same. uh, housing. Crisis issues. Nearly half of renters statewide are cost burdened. Seventy-six percent of very low income renters are cost burdened. This data, I'm sort of repeating. This is from uh, NLHC. You know, 52 homes available for every 100 very low income households. So, like a really big crisis statewide. And then uh, we also look at uh, the city's public housing. Public housing, you know, sort of. You contrast public housing versus affordable housing. Affordable housing is privately owned, but publicly subsidized housing. The public housing is publicly owned, and publicly subsidized. In New York City, the public housing authority has one hundred seventy-seven thousand apartments, three hundred sixty-one thousand residents. The latest needs assessment. So every, um, every three years, every five years, they do a physical needs assessment where they assess how much uh capital needs the portfolio needs to be in good condition and the latest report show that the housing authority needs 78.3 billion dollars in capital needs to repair the buildings over the next 20 years 37 billion in immediate needs another 18 billion needed within one year another 18 billion in addition to that needed within two years so um really really substantial capital investment needs in the city's public housing and so that's something we are focused on as well so that all leads into the the things we're looking at in terms of policy solutions at the city, state and federal level. I'll sort of ta- start broadly. There's sort of two things we focus on. One is housing funding. So it's increasing city funding. It's, um, you know, protecting and increasing federal funding for housing programs. And then on the supply side, increasing affordable housing, increasing all housing supply as, as a part of that. and then tax incentives and ensuring that the affordable housing that is built uh, targets deeper affordability. So so working on on that as well. So looking at affordable housing funding, just in, in case this hasn't been addressed, want to give like a really big picture information about how affordable housing is produced, how it's funded. So it's it's funded using combination of government loans or government bo- bank loans or government bonds. And so the housing the affordable housing that you're building will generate a certain amount of revenue, that revenue will support uh, a certain size loan. And then the rest of the money that's needed for construction comes from city or state capital funding and then federal low-income housing tax credits. So we're talking about increasing support, increasing government resources, government subsidy for affordable housing. We're talking about city and state capital funding and the federal low-income housing tax credits. Now, I won't address state capital funding because as was already mentioned the state passed uh, a new 5-year housing plan last year uh, and so you know we were advocating and supporting that and so you know for the next several years that's in place but at city level advocating for more funding and then at the federal level as well so I'll talk more about that at the city level we've been advocating for 4 billion dollars per year for city capital funding and this year there is $4 billion in the budget, but we'll be continuing advocacy for that to be in the budget every single year. Um, and that's made up of 2.5 billion for housing production and then 1.5 billion for public housing. Now, I don't wanna, we don't need to go too deep into this, but one of the things that's, that's gotten in the way was that the, the city housing agency was understaffed. And so they were not able to, to do enough projects, to complete enough projects to spend the money they had. So um, it was, harder to advocate for a big increase in funding, but they're getting staffed up again and we are um, advocating for for additional funding more funding will mean both deeper affordability and um, and more production. So when I showed you the map earlier about how affordable housing is built across the city, we this is this is our work in response to that, so we have the New York City housing tracker and it shows housing data by city council district and. I think one of the most important parts of that data is showing affordable housing construction by city council district. And what it allows us to do and allows everybody else to do is to hold the city accountable and to hold neighborhoods and elected officials accountable to have to advocate for to support affordable housing in our council districts to show which council districts are not really doing their part. So what we saw was that 16 council districts produced more than 2000 units uh, over the time period from 2014 to 2022. Whereas 17 districts produce fewer than 400 units, some, you know, less than 50. What I'm showing here is Councilmember member Raphael Salamanca's district, which produced roughly 8,500 units of affordable housing. you can see the little bar next to it. The average was less than 1500 units, right? So his district producing, you know, significantly more affordable housing than most other districts What we want to do is we want to see or equitable distribution, we want to make sure these districts that are producing less affordable housing are producing a lot more and really contributing to solving the housing crisis. So anyway, check out the housing tracker. Um, I'll put a link in the chat after I'm done, and you can sort of look in your neighborhood, look at a council districts. You can see there's lots of different housing stats in terms of demographics and what the housing stock is like and what the housing needs are like in the district, and then there's data on housing production. At the city level, we're also advocating for uh, deeper affordability of the affordable housing that's produced this chart shows what the production breakdown was like from 2014 to 2022 of new construction of affordable housing, you can see the the biggest chunk was for what's called low income, which is $63,000 up to $101,000 so it's in that income range. I think what we're advocating for is more at the very low income and extremely low income right when you're when you're building it that those income levels you're targeting more. The incomes where the housing crisis is the greatest where people are, where more people are housing cost burdened and where more people are experiencing homelessness. So we're advocating for deeper affordability of the affordable housing. And then on the public housing side, we are advocating for different programs that, w- that will allow the housing authority to make repairs, to bring their buildings up to, to good conditions. So it's capital funding. So just direct capital funding to support repairs. It's the PACT program, which allows for private financing to come in and support affordable housing and then the preservation trust which also just converts the federal funding source for the public housing but also allows for for private financing so working on all these supporting all these tools to preserve public housing and provide um, better housing for the residents and then lastly um, at the city level there's a zoning text amendment being proposed so this would make zoning changes citywide. I think there'll be more information about that from the city in the fall and winter, but looking at things like reforming parking requirements. So you can build more housing without needing to add as many parking spots. Uh, sometimes without adding any parking spots, a density bonus for affordable housing, and then other sort of smaller changes, detailed changes that will allow for more density or even just allow the density that's in the, in the currently allowed by zoning. Um, so that will allow for more housing supply and more affordable housing supply in the city. At the state level, uh, we were advocating around land use uh, with the goal of promoting more housing supply statewide and then also fair, connected to that fair housing. You know, as I think you've heard a lot of today, one of the biggest reasons for the housing crisis is a lack of housing supply generally, but also lack of, of housing at the, at the deep affordability levels um and one of the barriers to increase housing supply are policies in local communities that prevent new housing or you know severely limit the, the density of the housing and so um and that then fought what what often follows from that by limited housing is creating um and perpetuating segregated housing and so we were fighting for the governor's uh, supporting the governor's housing compact um which would have had growth requirements for all communities and uh, transit oriented development. So that's some higher density around uh, around transit stations, public transit stations. And so I think going forward, we're going to continue working on that, we're going to continue supporting um, requirements for housing growth statewide, so that we have more housing supply to give more people more opportunities and more choices. Um, and um, probably also transit oriented development. So looking forward to doing more of that work in the year ahead. Homelessness prevention. Legislators have proposed the Housing Access Voucher Program. This would be a state-funded rental assistance program. I, I, you know, I think you've heard about it. The federal level, there's the Section Eight program, which is federal rental assistance. Talk about that again in a second. But uh, and then at the city level, there is a um, a city program, city-funded rental assistance, the City for Heps program. Um, and so, pushing for a state housing assistance, rental assistance program, state-funded. That would help families and 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 I think single adults stay in their homes, avoid eviction. You know, help families that are severely rent burdened. So we supported that last year, and, and we'll look forward to supporting that in the future. And then also supporting tax benefits, tax abatements that would support affordable housing. There is the 421A program that expired. I think what we're looking for is a is another housing benefit similar. That would support uh, adding affordable housing in high-cost neighborhoods. There's really not another way to generate affordable housing in high-cost neighborhoods. And our data in the the housing tracker really shows that there's some neighborhoods that are high-cost that have affordable housing because of the 421A the MIH, the mandatory inclusion housing program. So we need another program that can that can provide affordable housing, because otherwise it'll just be affordable housing built with city subsidy in low-cost, lower-income neighborhoods. And then on the preservation side, we supported the J fifty one tax benefit, which um, is a tax benefit for making repairs in private housing. So we supported that in the past legislative session. And then on the federal side, we support you know continuation and expanding the HUD budget. HUD has many programs that are vital to affordable housing locally and across the country. Section eight housing assistance, the Section eight rental assistance vouchers. Only one in four eligible households receive assistance. We have called for and produced the report that showed how universal access, allowing everybody who's eligible to get Section 8, how that would protect people from homelessness, protect more people from homelessness and benefit the local economies where people have more money to spend locally on the necessities that they can't currently spend on because their housing is too expensive. So we're supporting protecting the funding and, and expanding the Section 8 program. And then the public housing side, uh, supporting funding for capital funding to make repairs and support for the federal resources for the preservation trust and NLHC, you know, showed some of their, showed their federal priorities earlier, we support and work with them and support those issues as well, but just wanted to highlight some of the ones we're, we're focused on. And then also the low income housing tax credit, as I said, this is an important tool for building affordable housing locally. And so we are advocating for ways to expand and improve the program, you know, can get way more in the weeds if, if you guys want to, but the idea is that, you know, if you, the tax credits can come with a development that uses private um, tax exempt bonds, um, but a state has a certain cap is how much of that they can use. And so if you exempt housing from that cap, then you can the um, city so could use a lot more private activity bonds and, and get and get a lot more tax credits. Um, but even if you reduce the amount of bonds that you have to use in a project to get the tax credits, you could the bonds could go farther and the tax credits could go farther. And then finally, just increasing the uh, tax credit allocations generally across the country.
0: And that's it for this week's episode of Smart Talk. Thank you for listening, and we hope it made you think. If you'd like to learn more about our research, check out hgsss.org. That's hgsss.org. If you'd like to listen to our content as soon as it's published, subscribe to our show. If you like our show, please leave us a rating, review, or even share with a friend. It goes a long way. Thanks again for listening, and see you next week.